welcome back to Booze Nation, the podcast. I'm Tracy Ramos, an unemployed bartender in San Francisco, and this is episode two. And my guest is Christian Suzuki Ariano, better known as Suzu. And like most bartenders, Suzu was working at three bars in San Francisco before the pandemic hit. And I met him at one of those bars, a Wild Hawk which is in the mission, and I would go into the bar after my shift ended, and he would make me delicious, delicious cocktails. And one of the things I noticed about Zuzu is how graceful he is behind the bar. He glides and weaves around the bar and his co-workers. He is like a graceful gazelle, and I just loved watching him work. I think because I am like a Clydesdale behind the bar, And somebody who can move that gracefully was just kind of like a mystery to me. So here we are, episode two, and enjoy his giggle. You're in Oakland, right? Yes, I am. How long have you been? How long have you been in Oakland? So I'm actually from the East Bay. Um, I was born in Martinez, um, allegedly the home of the Martini. <laughs> um, but I uh, I kind of grew up everywhere in the Bay Area. Um, my family we moved around a lot between the East Bay to San Francisco to even Tokyo. Um, but I do call Oakland my home. So I just moved back here about a year and a half ago. Um, so yeah. <laughs> Where were you before you moved back? Where were you before this? I was in I was in San Francisco. What part? Um, I was in the I guess you would I don't know what neighborhood you would call it, but like Alamo Square Park meets lower not uh, lower hate meets Hayes Valley, like right there, smack in the middle of all three. Yes, I know where you I know where you're talking about. Yeah. Um, and then what part of Oakland are you in? I am um I guess I'm on the border of Oakland and Piedmont. Um, so really close to the lake, um, kind of walking distance to like a lot of really awesome little cafes and little shops on Piedmont Avenue. So, uh, yeah, (laughs) that's awesome. Do you think you would pick up bartending gigs in Oakland? Um, definitely. It's crazy because like the last time I lived in Oakland, there wasn't much of like a craft cocktail scene. Mm -hmm. Um, I was still, I think I was barely 21. Um, I was working at 15 Romulo at that time. So I was making the Oakland, San Francisco commute. Um, but yeah, there weren't a lot of bars um, that I, uh, I guess like, yeah, craft bars, they're a very small handful. And now that I'm back here, I don't even know the actual scene itself. Cause like uh, as soon as um, I moved here, I got into literally the same day I moved here. I got in uh, announced um, as a regional finalist finalist for most imaginative bartender. Uh, with Bombay and then that led to becoming a national finalist and that was uh, a whole like nine month commitment so I didn't really get to go out and explore the restaurants or the bars or the cafes out here um, until actually like during the pandemic so uh, I'm I'm still like not like sure of all the, the places but there's some really great places out here though I really do love it out here that's awesome that is great and then <laughs> what what bars were you working in pre-pandemic um, oh, that's always a doozy. I was working at three different bars, um, like three and a half ish, uh, Wild Hawk, Elda, the Treasury. And every once in a while, I was picking up shifts at Benjamin Cooper. I was there for like, maybe like three to four years. And um, when I left, I still would pick up shifts here and there. But that's really cool. Do you know if any of these establishments are still open? Um, unfortunately, Elda closed. Um, that was more so of like a land 
I, yeah, I think that I was saw that. The landlord issue. So it wasn't really the business. They they do want to move the 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 bar to a different location. So that's still kind of like um a pending process. I'm not really sure what the update on that is, but uh, Wild Talk has been open during the pandemic um, up until the second shutdown back in what was like late November, early December or something. Um, but we're reopened again. And, um, and the treasury, I was um, for the most part, pretty much closed um, up until November for like three days. And then the second shutdown was announced, um, but they just reopened. I think like oh, two weeks ow. ago. Yeah. Yeah. It was really brutal. And like all the downtown restaurants and bars have been getting it really bad. Like, you know, if you've, if you've gone down there, it is a ghost town. It's absolutely quiet and silent and there's nobody there. So um, I, 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 I will say like, uh, I went by a couple of weeks ago and it's slowly starting to pick up and there's like, you know, it kind of looks like a, a very casual like mid morning Saturday now. So um, like before the pandemic. So I think it's starting to pick up very slowly, but it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really nice way of, of putting that. And then how long have you uh, been a bartender and have you always been a bartender in the Bay area or other places? That is kind of a tough question. I've been in the bar industry, um, at least here in San Francisco, since I was 21. So almost 10 years, 11 years ish. Um, And I started off as a cocktail server at 15 Romolo and kind of worked my way up to a manager before a bartender. So all in all, I think about seven years. Um, However, um, I was living in Tokyo when I was like 18, 19, um, with my grandparents. And, um, I did manage to get like a club bartending gig over there and did that for like a very quick, like three months. And, um, I, I hated it so much, but why, why I think that would be, I mean, Tokyo, I think that would be a blast. Um, the neighborhood um, the neighborhood I was in was, um, very like touristy. So it was like all mm-hmm. of like, the very drunk like folks coming from around the world <laughs> and uh lots of like really really cheesy drinks and stuff but um yeah that was not my pace <laughs> i hear you that i think that would be a tough one too but your <laughs> grandmother i feel had a business do you want to talk a little bit about yeah, that totally so it's actually kind of like um a couple part story, but um, essentially my grandparents started a restaurant business in in Tokyo um, right after the war had ended back in the late forties. So originally my grandpa, he kind of collaborated with this one sake brewery up in Northern Japan, where he's from called Akita. Um, Well, the the region is called Akita. The brewery is called um, Aramasa. And they wanted to kind of open up their market to um, a more metropolitan area like Tokyo. So they kind of um, opened up together a restaurant called Aramasa based off of the sake. And it was kind of a one of a kind at that time. Um, When the war had ended, most people weren't really concerned. Uh, What's that? Why was it? Why was it one of a kind? Oh, oh, see, yeah. Um, so, um, so right after the war, um, most people weren't really focused on like quality foods or like dining in. It was just kind of like you know coming from 
you know, a, a post-survival kind of mentality. So what made that restaurant so unique was first, they were focusing a lot on Northern Japanese cuisine in Tokyo, which wasn't really a big thing. Um, so a lot of those dishes are meant to keep you warm. It's, it is a very cold region up in Northern Japan. Um, so lots of hot pots, lots of like, you know, really, really hearty dishes. Um, and then also focusing on fresh produce, fresh seafood. So my grandfather was one of the very first kind of like, I guess, um, clients of the, the, the famed Tsukiji fish market. Um, so he had been going there uh, for pretty much, I think, 60 years. Um, so they they know him over there very well. And um, so that restaurant became such a huge success. So they were able to open two more Aramasa locations all throughout Tokyo. Um, so we were based in a neighborhood called Asakusa. They opened one in Shinjuku and Ginza. Um, the success of those three restaurants kind of led to other opportunities, um, one of which was my grandmother opening up her own cocktail bar called Kagano Bar. And Kagano, there's no direct translation. If you move the letters around, it spells out her name. <laughs> um, but uh, she had a lot of backlash with that restaurant with uh, mostly kind of like that kind of very narrow-minded mentality that like you know women aren't typically seen in bars let alone like owning one at that time during japan in japan um so she was able to keep that restaurant afloat up until pretty much when she had my mother and it was kind of like her you know it was like i i can either like be a full-time mom um or i can kind of try to you know still deal with all the, the craziness of this bar with the people kind of like not really into it um so she ended up closing the rest closing the bar and really focused on motherhood um but eventually then she opened up another restaurant too called Sukizuki, which is the last restaurant of our family business that's still open um and that was kind of like the pioneer restaurant of teppanyaki cooking which is kind of like what you would see at benihana's where they like cook everything in front of you so um she was definitely kind of and both my grandparents are considered like very well-known like pioneers in the restaurant industry in tokyo and japan so um ever since i was a kid i would like go to the fish market or walk around town and um a lot of people would know who I am based off of my grandparents. So uh, I know a, a lot of the times my grandparents would like wear our faces on their t-shirts or like they'll have like a photo of them of us behind like in their on their wall when they're getting interviewed or in documentaries and stuff so um always really really interesting and awkward <laughs> wow do you think you are or would you say you're fluent in Japanese yeah I mean so um even though I like lived in Japan for a bit when I was younger. Um, I, I was born here in the Bay Area. Actually, I didn't even speak English till a very late age. Um, uh, I also am half uh, Salvadorian. So um, I spoke Spanish and Japanese pretty fluently as a child or as fluent as a child can be. Um, and then when we moved back to the to the US from Tokyo, um, I my mom put me in school and I actually didn't speak any English at all. So I was held back a couple of times just to kind of like be able to catch up with the rest of my my uh, my classes. Um, but once I got into an American school, um, I kind of lost all my Spanish, um, but my mom wanted me to keep my Japanese. So we would attend like a Japanese school as a kid. So we went like once, once a week. Um, but I got super into soccer. So that I pretty much skipped um, the Japanese school and would go play soccer scrimmages and games. So my reading and writing is like 
trash, absolute garbage, but I can speak pretty well. So I can like go, I can still to this day go to like a Japanese restaurant or go to Japan itself and have a pretty decent conversation. And uh, the conjugations are not always there and they're not always accurate, but uh, people generally know what, what the heck I'm saying. <laughs> That's fantastic. I, I do remember you telling me about your Spanish and Japanese um, languages before English. Yeah, yeah. I remember you saying that. <laughs> that is, that is crazy. <laughs> and then speaking, um, continuing with your family and the family business, your mother had a restaurant. Yes. Um, so my mom, um, immigrated to the U S I actually don't exactly know what year, but I want to say like probably 1986, 87 ish. Um, and her kind of dream was to open up her own restaurant also like, you know, following the legacy of my grandparents, um, but she wanted to take her restaurant to like a whole different kind of, um, theme. She was obsessed with everything Italian. Um, my mom jokes that she's like a fake Italian cause she like talks with her hands and everything and very, very expressive. And especially like coming from a country like Japan, where most people kind of like, um, repress their feelings and emotions or even their physical gestures. Um, she definitely kind of stood out in the group of all, of all Japanese women. So, um, she, she was obsessed with just Italian cuisine. Um, she would always bring like, like Italian pastas to school when she was a kid, which, you know, in a, in a, yeah. Whereas like most other Japanese students were bringing like, you know, something rice related. Like she was so not into that. So uh, she opened up an Italian restaurant in Antioch. And during that time, I mean, it's still like not the most, um, uh, safest area, but she opened up, um, as an immigrant, a Italian restaurant in the hood pretty much. And, um, right on. And definitely got a lot of backlash, mostly for being an immigrant. So uh, that restaurant was open for just a couple of years, I think. I'm, I'm not 100% certain on how long, but my mom always kind of like uh, shrugs like, oh, yeah, like the, the, the newspaper wrote about my op restaurant opening and then they wrote about how it closed. So <laughs> do you think uh, your mom had support from the community? No, not really. Um, the only support that really kind of came from uh, for her was from my father's side of the family. Now, I I, uh, I feel like if I get too far into the, my dad's side, it's going to be like a, an interview that's going to last forever. But long story short, um, I actually my only memory of my father is the day that he left our family. Um, but my grand, my, my father's side of the family has always been extremely supportive of myself, but especially my mom. So, um, she had a lot of support and, you know, they're very much like a traditional, like Latino family. There's like a million cousins and a million uncles and aunts. So <laughs> everyone was there to, to really, really help her out, whether if it was like, you know, actually running the floor, washing dishes, cooking, whatever it was. So very much a family restaurant. Um, but, uh, she had a lot of support from them and, um, well, that, I mean, that, that sounds like a positive note that she did have support from the family. Um, it's unfortunate she couldn't have support from the community around her, you know, yeah. that sucks. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, we've been in this, this crazy, surreal, scary time, you know, the 2020 to 2021. Um, but I want to talk about the years 2016 to 2020. Yeah. And do you feel that there has been a shift, you know, being in the public 
working with the public five nights a week or three nights a week, or would, do you feel that there has been a shift? Yeah, 100%. Um, I refuse to say our, um, our, um, president's name, but, um, you know, I, I've always been that really, uh, like fortunate, lucky person, um, being biracial, being gay. Um, I never went through a lot of like serious bullying or anything like that, especially being raised in the Bay area. For the most part, there are, you know, a lot of very diverse communities out here. Um, so I was very lucky to have that for most of my surroundings. Um, now when during the like 2016 20 like 2020 years um and also i I also have to say like you know i can't discard like you know any situations i've gone through or whatever like you know negative situations like there there definitely has been some but i can't compare my issues to like someone who lives in like the south or like the midwest you know where they don't have those same communities so i i can i definitely you know i'm i'm more privileged in that sort of way but um but definitely between 2016 2020 there was a huge shift of how um people would talk to me like as a as a an employee of somewhere um so whether if that's like a very passive like oh i'd rather talk to the the straight white male over there instead of you like that kind of mentality was really common like i worked at this one bar um where the entire team was all straight white men minus um actually you know claire uh, my my coworker claire we were the only two not straight white men and and um we would in the the bar is a super tiny bar and we would get absolutely crushed like you know we would have like the entire place full and we're probably slinging like you know anywhere between eight to 15 drinks at a time um and people would literally come in and look at us and then turn around or or if i was with one of my other coworkers that wasn't claire um i would be you know we would both be really busy but the people who were next to me would rather be served by the by my coworker as opposed to me even though i'm literally like a two feet away from them. So um, we've had a lot of things like that. Oh, do sorry. You, sorry. Do you mean like people would walk into the bar, take a look at you and Claire and then walk out yes, and leave? Yes. Like that was pretty common. They would leave. And um, yeah, we had incidents like that, or we would also have incidents like um, they would look at both of us and be like, Oh, like we can definitely you know, take advantage of them or something. Like we had this one incident where um, we had a few folks who pretty much accused us of like stealing a credit card or something. And as and they ended up finding the credit card on their friend, their friend cl- collected it from them, but they were so furious at us for absolutely no reason. So they were like trying to beat us up. And at that time it was only like two o'clock in the morning. So we're trying to get them to leave the bar. And, and there was like a full on 45 minute, like shove back between both sides of the door. (gasps) And at that point we can't even like grab our phones to like call the police because we're just trying to like not get murdered by these people. So, so 
I, we, we always, I mean, now that we can look back and joke about it, we're always like, well, if we were with one of our other coworkers, that probably, that most likely would not have happened. Um, so the fact that like, you know, that kind of like mentality that, that, or that feeling, it's not just like an isolated incident that happened at one or two places. Like it's something that has carried on throughout all the bars that I worked at between 2016 and 2020. And I mean, like, I, I'm also known to be that person who's got like a million different bars in San Francisco. And I've experienced all of that from pretty much all of those bars. Um, so that's definitely, um, that was, that was a very interesting, like, you know, time. We're still not fully out of it, but like, (laughs) but, uh, we're not at all. What do you think about the past year? The Asian community under attack, but so many of the elderly Asian, um, hate crimes happening, um, that is just, it's astonishing, astonishing yeah. and just so unacceptable. Um, but have, what is your take on that? Um, it's terrifying. Um, you know, especially like I mentioned before, I grew up here in the Bay area. Um, we can't ever disregard like any of, uh, like any racist or, um, attacks on, on, uh, marginalized groups that have happened, you know, cause it, it does happen, but just at least here in the Bay area, it probably happens less than other places, but, um, seeing it happen so much and so close to home as well, it, it is really terrifying. Um, there was a gentleman, um, who unfortunately lost his life because of, um, one of these like attacks um, and that happened at a right across the street from a whole foods. That's less than like a 10 minute walk away from us. Um, so that was literally like in here in our backyard and that's really terrifying. So, um, you know, we always see things on TV, we see things on the internet and we, at least I always thought to myself, like, you know, I'm so lucky that I don't live in a place like that, but now my place that I live in has become the, that place too. So um, I hate it. It's absolutely terrifying. It really breaks my heart. I'm not sure, you know, how to rectify that. I'm not sure because we're still technically in lockdown. So it's really hard to feel like, oh, I want to go out to this march. I want to go out to this, you know, vigil, or I want to go out to support this community. Um, that's still kind of hard to do. Um, have you? Um, Donate money? Have you done fundraisers? I know you had a pop-up. Yeah. So do yeah. you want to talk about that? And and um, so I, I've got to say, like, you know, I um I I am not made of money at all, but I I've always um what a bartender, <laughs> a broke bartender? God. <laughs> um I <laughs> I always kind of was, you know, surrounded by people who believe that philanthropy was extremely important in whatever ways that we can do it, whether that's like, you know, cleaning up the creek by our local, you know, in our local town or city or, you know, just doing a car wash or whatever. I've always thought that was something that's amazing because at the end of the day, like, you know, community, I think is so important and, you know, being on the same boat, um, helping each other out, helping our neighbors out. I I strongly believe in all of that. so during the pandemic, uh, it all really kind of started off with um, with during Black Lives Matter, where I I saw everything that happened, like you know across the country, and obviously 
in the pandemic, especially it's really hard to like get up and go and go help those people physically. So um, I started doing little things that really start off with like, you know, if, if you like this post, then I'll donate like a dollar of mine to whatever fund that needs to be, you know, funded. Um, and that included like supporting like uh, the, um, uh, oh my gosh, like, I can't think of the name right now, but you know, folks who were going into protests and needed like, you know, funding for masks or for, for gas masks or tear masks or whatever they are. So little things like that. And I, I've always wanted to just like continue supporting and helping. And especially with what happened with what's been happening to the AAPI community, um, the most recent months, um, I've kind of taken my pop-up, which, um, I'll kind of get into a little bit later on, but really trying to create like a platform and a space that people feel extremely comfortable in, whether if you're a person of color, if you're a part of the LGBTQ plus community, whatever genders you identify as, um, and, uh, or even like, you know, I feel like this doesn't get talked about enough either, but folks who have like a, a born or a developed, um, intellectual disability or whatever it is, physical disability. And, you know, it, I, people I, with disabilities I are completely, um, invisible, you know, almost. Yeah. And it, especially like, you know, in our industry as like, uh, in restaurants and bars, like, you know, we, we always cover one marginalized group or two marginalized groups, but it's hard to cover everyone, but you know, there's people that that need to be, you know, that need the focus. So I've kind of taken my Kagano pop-up series as like um, a platform that I could like shine a light onto those who do need the support, who do need the attention. And with my first pop-up this year, um, I hosted that at, at Drexel Bar in Oakland. And all of my tips that I made that night were going to be donated to the AAPI Community Fund on GoFundMe, which um, pretty much was a, a collective of a bunch of different GoFundMe's um, based off of um, attacks on, like you know how how fa what families need from attack victims, or um, if you're like a, a shop owner, like you know a, a small business owner, and you had your windows broken into or something, whatever it was. There's so many different. Mm -hmm. um, funds out there and, um, seeing how much people have been supporting has been really encouraging. You know, it's not just me, there's, you know, people in our neighborhoods, there's people across the country, across the world who are, um, supporting. So that I, I, I'm very encouraged by that. <laughs> very inspired as well. That is fantastic. And then, um, do you want to tell us how much you were able to raise in one evening or yeah, one afternoon? Definitely. So I've got to say that was probably um, not the most well-planned out pop-up I've ever done. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's okay. So so I, I guess we'll talk about the pop-up real quick. So Kagano Bar pop-up, I just mentioned like the whole idea of it, but um, the pop-up is really um, also, it's called Kagano Bar pop-up as kind of an ode and homage to my grandma's bar. Um, I really identify with my mom and my grandma, especially as both people who have gone through particular incidents or situations that might set them back in their careers. Um, I can't say that my life experiences or my work experiences are nearly as drastic as what had happened to my grandmother or my mom, but um, we're three generations of not just hospitality workers, but we're fighters. So, um, yeah, you're, three, I, you're, you're three generations of activists. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so in the disguise day, of I, bartenders. 
Yes. <laughs> so one day I'd love to reopen Kagano Bar here in the U.S. and kind of continue that really awesome passion for community for, um, in this particular case, like very Japanese forward cocktails with um, each drink having like some sort of like representation of like my memories or, you know, um, thoughts or even jokes. Um, so the pop-up that I hosted, um, I was anticipating not a lot of people to come because it's we're in a pandemic. It was a Monday. Um, <laughs> so I didn't bother batching any of my cocktails. I just figured like, oh, like, you know, we'll get like maybe like 20 people to come in like in a span of four hours. I'll be so easy. And my buddy who um, who helps run the spot, we we're just like, yeah, like it'll be cash. It'll be super cash. And then I had a write up on the SF Weekly, which mentioned my pop up and a lot of people found interest in that or through that. So um, and that happened, that came out literally like a week before my pop-up. So we still thought like, it's a pandemic, like, you know, no one's out to go drinking. Like I don't go out to drink a whole lot anymore. So why would right, you know right. everyone else? And I kid you not top three busiest shift I've ever worked. We had, um, a line down the, down the block around the corner, um, from pretty much, uh, 515 and we started at five until 9 30 and we're supposed to end at nine so 45 minute wait the entire time uh by myself um oh god without batch cocktails oh, so god. and they're all very intricate drinks too like you know every, and every style of cocktail every cocktail I did, I did four different drinks and each one was a different uh style of drink so like I had a cocktail that was shaken, I had a cocktail that was stirred, I have a cocktail that was built, and one cocktail that was thrown. So uh, it was a combination of a lot of stuff going on. Um, overall, I did about, wow, what were the sales again? I think I did about, oh gosh, I don't remember the overall sales, but we were able to raise about $1,500 um, in tips um, for that what all went to the AAPI community fund. And I picked a couple different, um, funds. Um, and, uh, I mean, that, that was a huge success. Like, you know, and everyone, and the greatest thing too, was like, you know, even though there was a 45 minute wait, um, everyone there was just so happy. And like, I had a lot of friends that came by, but I also saw a ton of people I've never met in my life. And a lot of those people were maybe regulars of Drexel, or maybe they saw some sort of line and they were interested in what was going on. Or maybe these folks just found, uh, found me on social media or saw my write-up on the SF Weekly. Um, but a lot of people came through. And the one re re reoccurring thing that everyone said was that everyone just had such a great time. Even when they were waiting in line, there was just like you know, part of it was the excitement of, you know, going in, having some cocktails. The excitement was also about just helping out the communities. The excitement was also like, you know, just being able to have a fun time seeing your friends again during the pandemic because a lot of people haven't been able to go out. So, um, yeah, people haven't seen each other and are just elated to see another human being, even if it's random and, you know, you're, you know, you're going to get a cocktail in your hand sooner or later. My, my roommate, who's also like my best friend, she went with her boyfriend and I kind of like asked her, like, you know, did anyone like complain? Were people upset that it took a long time or what? And between her, a bunch of my other friends, the guys who work at Drexel, they all said like, no, dude, everyone had such a great time. But there was just a lot of positivity in the air. And it like really brought me a couple of tears. Like, you know, it's like, wow, like I, I never realized that just that I could, you know, have that power. So that was a really, really awesome feeling. And um, I can't wait for the next time. <laughs> I can't wait for the next one, Bill. 
That is fantastic. I love to hear that. Going to batch everything. <laughs> well, it sounds like it was a great success. So congratulations. Um, do you, like you just said that you are thinking about doing another one. Do you have something on the books for another pop-up? Yeah. Yeah, um, I will definitely be doing a pop-up at Wild Talk. Um, I just don't know exactly what day, but uh, we're talking about maybe one Monday on in like May or something. I just haven't planned that out 100%. Um, I have a meeting tomorrow with the ladies from Umami Mart in Oakland. Um, they just acquired a liquor license. So um, I'm going to hopefully be able to pop into their shop and do some cocktails and um, the great thing about um, the success of this past one that I, the pop-up that I had, um, I had a lot of folks reach out to me from not just here in the Bay Area, but outside about possibly doing a pop-up in their spots. So we're, we're, still, yeah, we're still kind of in the talks about doing a pop-up in Sacramento, LA, Portland, Chicago, and Atlanta. So I am really stoked about that. Um, I, yes, that is fantastic. That's exciting. So tell, tell us where we can find you on social media. Yeah, definitely. So my personal handle is at Suzu Vroom um, on Instagram. Uh, so S-U-Z-U-V-R-O-O-M. Um, my pop-up on Instagram um, is going to be at Kagano Pop-Up, K-A-G-A-N-O-P-O-P-U-P. <laughs> um, and I, I mostly do all my things on social, on, on Instagram. I do very light work on Facebook because it's just kind of like, I don't know, Facebook is, Facebook is the new MySpace. Like, you know, people aren't on it as much, so, um, but mostly Instagram. It's a disaster. It's, it's kind of like shit book. Yeah, you know, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Facebook just really slid into shit book real yeah. fast. <laughs> it does. Oh, um, I love asking people this. What is your pet peeve when you're working behind the bar? Your number Ooh, one pet peeve? Um, you know, I and I I have a couple, but I've also got to say too that like I'm a pretty easygoing bartender. Like I I I I, I feel like not a lot really bothers me a whole lot. Like a lot of, I, I, so I've been teaching a lot of virtual cocktail classes during the pandemic. And a lot of people ask me like, what cocktails do you hate making? I'm like, I don't really hate any of them. Like, you know, people think like mojitos are so like, you know, difficult or like a cocktail with egg whites. I love like any moment I have a moment to like flare or shine. I'm, I'm stoked about. So um, I, I, I try to put like a little tiny like dance move into all my cocktails that I make, but um, a couple of things that do bother me, I think when we have people who like reach over the bar to grab something. So that includes like garnishes or <gasps> tools. Um, and that doesn't only happen with like drunk guests or non-industry friends, but also happens with a lot of industry friends as well too. That is bad manners. Yeah. I've, I've had to call out a few uh, restaurant and bar folks who are, not the well the the most behaved for sure so i think that's like one of my biggest pet peeve and uh yeah i think that's 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 all that i can think of right now but i'm sure i'll have like a little list <laughs> yeah that is actually not 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 too bad and then what is your dream night of service what is your like the best night you can have what happens oh my gosh um anything that's like really positively spontaneous um we had uh, this was like maybe nine years ago at 15 Romolo. Um, but 
it was a really slow night. We had like a few folks. I don't, I don't know if you've ever been to 15 Rumble before, but very dark, darkly lit bar with, you know, candlelights. Um, very, very romantic and very sexy, um, very moody. And we had this one night where there was like some traveling band from Sweden and they all looked super hip. And I was just like, Oh gosh, like, what are we going to get? What, what's going to happen right now? And, but they came with a dear like neighbor, neighbor friend. Um, and um, they were like, do you mind if we play a little bit of music? And I'm like, I mean, like, as long as it's like, you know, it's, it's appropriate and it works with our vibe. Like, yeah, well, let's do it. I'm super down. And they played the most beautiful acoustic version of Wagon Wheel, which is a song that I hate with a passion, but they made me into a fan. And it was just one of those moments where we just like, you know, it was five minutes of just pure entertainment and literally everyone at the bar was like in tears. It was just such a beautiful moment. And and uh, I, I definitely remember like taking a photo of that and posting it online because it was just such a such an incredible moment. And um, even though that happened like nine years ago, I still think about that quite often. So um, anything that's yeah positively like you know um, that's uh, emotional or spontaneous, I think they're really awesome. Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that sounds that sounds like yeah, just a lovely evening, and it's a great surprise, and everybody loves it, and you have a really good feeling and a great memory from it. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what else do you uh, want the people to know about being a bartender? You know, it's, it's a tough job. It's a tough industry. Um, and especially more so now than ever, uh, people who have continued to stay in this industry, it's about passion. You know, like a lot of people look at uh, restaurants and bars to be, you know, um, temporary gigs, whether if you're like a student in school or maybe you're transitioning from one career to another. Um, it's 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 a great um, workplace and work field for for anyone and everyone, really. Um, but especially after the pandemic, I mean, the pandemic for for a lot of people have been, has been like a really eye-opening experience, like really kind of self-evaluating your career, your life choices, your life in general. Um, but the people who are still today um, bartending, working in restaurants, this is about not just, you know, um, it's not just a paycheck anymore. It's really about our, our lives and it's passion. It's our career. Um, so just, I, I, I hope that folks who have never been in a, like, you know, in a restaurant or bar, um, workplace, um, that they remember that when they continue going to these restaurants and bars who have had a really tough year, year and almost like, you know, yeah, about a year or so, um, just to remember that. So, you know, treat everyone with respect when, because, you know, on, on our side too, like, you know, respect is, um, always going to be given when you give it. So, um, yeah. <laughs> So thank you a million billion times for doing this. I'm so happy to see you. I am so happy. I, I miss our Saturday kind of get togethers when you would uh, feed me delicious, delicious cocktails. So I'm, I'm so happy to see you. And I do follow you on, on social media. So I will be looking for the pop-up at Wild Hawk. Yay, definitely. I'll let you know. And um, yeah, thank you so much for reaching out to me and having me. And um, I miss seeing you all the time. And hopefully um, we'll be able to toast with a, a nice margarita or a shot of tequila or something, uh, hopefully soon. Something, something along those yeah. effects. <laughs> I know. Well, take care and be safe thank out you. there. I appreciate it so much. <laughs>
Yeah. Be, be safe. That's it. And thank you again to Zuzu for sharing so much of his family's history and his life in the States and Japan. And best of luck with his Kagano pop-up and all of his endeavors. And you know, when I said goodbye to him and I wished him safety, I've never done that before. I've never had to wish safety for my friends. And actually, that's a really terrible way to end a conversation. Wishing your friends to be safe. Hoping they won't get the shit knocked out of them when they walk down the street or try to do their job. But this is the world we, we now live in. After four years of raging rhetoric from the Tangerine Nightmare, and I'm not going to say his name either, but we all know who I'm talking about. So please remember that words matter. Words can have a lasting and negative effect. And in general, do better. And if you can't do better, then maybe you just shut the fuck up. Well, that'll be the day when you say goodbye. Yes, that'll be the day when you make me cry. You say you're gonna leave. You know it's a that's it for episode two. You can find Booze Nation, the podcast, on Twitter at BNation, the PCAST. Instagram is Booze Nation underscore podcast. And I want to give a quick shout out to the folks at Elda. So sorry to hear the news. And hopefully you'll be up and pouring drinks in a new location soon. Check back next week when my guest is the lovely, lovely Melinda Lopez. Thanks again for listening. And please, Tip your bartenders. Thanks.